Pray with me, church. Father God, we lift our hands to you. As the psalmist said, and we choose to bless you in the sanctuary. May the lifting of our hands be like the morning and the evening sacrifice. We lift our hands to you because you are worthy to be praised. As we sang earlier, you are God alone. And you sit upon your throne. And you are worthy. You are God. You are the king. We, we worship you. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And Father, we not only lift our hands to you to praise you, but we also lift our hands saying that we are dependent on you. Like a child crying for its mother or its father, saying, pick me up with outstretched arms. Lord, that's where many of us are today. And that is our sacrifice of praise. It is saying that we need you. Oh, how we need you. Every hour we need you. Oh, bless us now, our Savior. We, we come to you. And Lord, when we lift you up this way, you have a way of flooding and filling our soul with exactly what we need. So for that person in need of peace today, Lord, give them peace that will surpass their understanding. Even though they may not know how it's going to work out, they can know that you have a way of working things together for good because we love you and we're called according to your purpose. For those who are in need of joy today because they lack strength, may your joy give folks strength even when things don't change around them, Lord, do a work inside of them that your joy will be their strength. For those needing wisdom today, last week we learned, Lord, that you give wisdom freely, liberally. May we know that you're going to speak. May we position ourselves to not only listen but to do. And for the person today who may not have a relationship with you, who may not be born again, Lord, might today be the day of salvation, for you are not willing that any should perish, but you want all to come to a knowledge of the truth. Save the lost. Encourage those of us who are saved. Thank you for your word that will go forth. May it produce fruit in our lives. We love you so much, and we thank you that we get to be here. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask it all. Amen. As you're turning in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. I, I'm reminded of when I was in high school. Back in 1986, when I was graduating as a senior from Milford Mill High School in Baltimore, Maryland. My favorite time of year. That, that, that's my graduation photo there. <laughs> my favorite time of year was the end of school because we were getting out. <laughs> and you didn't have a lot of work to do. You know, teachers were just there and you were kind of floating around with your friends. And it was a lot of joy because, again, school was out and summer was coming. And Man, it was a good time walking around the halls, really not having much responsibility. And then graduation day. Now, now there's a phone up here that's going off. Who, let's see here. This is Jewel's phone. Got a picture of her all up on the screen. Jewel, here's your phone. Somebody trying to reach you. But graduation time. Again, another time and a reason to celebrate, to celebrate accomplishments that goals were set and reached. And I don't know how some of the students here at Strong Tower, y'all got more than a 4.0. Y'all getting 4.1s and 4.3s. Some of us were thankful for 2.3s. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah, some of us, we're just glad we, we finished. 
some of us, they looked at and said, just go on, just, just go ahead and go for graduation time. And so because that spirit is in the air, I, I grabbed my old yearbook and I started looking through my yearbook and just looking at the pictures and it brought back so many memories and so much nostalgia of those days. And I began to look and I could see friends that I lost, friends who are no longer with us. And uh, one of my good friends who played on the football team and baseball team with me, um, he succumbed, I believe, to cancer, passed away. And you're looking around and I'm seeing other folks that we lost. But as I kept looking through the yearbook, I saw some other people that I lost. And I saw people that I lost to shotgun evangelism. I lost some friends to shotgun evangelism. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, I became a Christian right before my junior year in high school. And uh, I was an undercover Christian, CIA operative. Nobody knew that I was a Christian. I barely knew that I was a Christian. <laughs> I made a profession of faith to Christ at a summer camp and came to high school. I wasn't discipled, um, didn't grow in my relationship with the Lord. And so um, I was a hypocrite big time. I was an undercover believer. But then when I went to college, some things changed because I broke my leg. And thus my prayer life began. Uh, away from home, four and a half hours away, and uh, no scholarship, no mama, no daddy, and I have a, a cast on my foot and crutches, and, and, and you begin to pray and say, God, I need your help. So he'll use stuff like that to, to, to get you intimate and close. And that's why David would say in Psalm 51 that the bones that you have broken now rejoice. So the stuff you broke helped to break me so that I could depend on you. And so I started learning a little bit of Bible. You know, I, uh, growing up in, in a Baptist university, I also learned some legalism. Learned some legalism. So when I would come home on break with my little bit of Bible knowledge and stuff and, and how to lead people to Jesus, I came and I blitzed my friends. And I came and I was sharing Jesus with my friends. But... Again, it was shotgun evangelism because I didn't care about them. I cared more about their soul. I didn't want them going to hell. And so I'm coming in and preaching fire, hell, and judgment. And I lost friendships over that. And I regret that even to this day. Because there is another way to reach your friends. Dare I say even a better way to reach your friends. I remember talking to some of my friends who were listening to Prince. Prince was huge back in the 80s, along with Michael Jackson. And so again, I'm at this Baptist school and don't listen to secular music. And so I get rid of all my secular music and you know, there's not much gospel back then. We played BB and CC to death. I remember coming home, talking to one of my friends, Derek Green, and his sister, Danielle Green, that prince would say, I'm your Messiah, and that's the reason why, because you, I would die for you. And I would say, that's blasphemy. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus died for you, not prince. And after a while, they didn't want to sit down with me or call me no more, because I came at them with legalism rather than with grace, truth, love and care for them. And so when I think about evangelism, I, I wasn't taught how to sit down with my lost friends and listen to this, and reason with them, have a dialogue with them, and not just some kind of one-sided communication where I'm doing the preaching and the blasting, and I'm telling them they need to get right or get left and all that stuff. And then I leave there patting myself on the back. Hmm. But I wasn't taught how to reason with people. Well, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, that God says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, 
They shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So God is saying, I want to reason with lost people. I want to sit down and talk with lost people. Why? Because your sins are scarlet. Your sins are like crimson. And I want to thank also um, Brother Kiever during his ordination a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about something that brought him to a breaking point when he was taught evangelism. And he was out doing backyard Bible studies. And they would try to introduce the gospel to children in demonstrative ways by using the colored beads. And it broke him when he saw that the bead for depravity or sin was black. As if black people, you know, there's something about us that that we're sinful. And of course, the white was purity. But that little symbol broke him. And for many of us, we've questioned, why is sin black when right here in the Bible, sin is red? Because we were trying to get to the red blood that that we said, okay, we're going to make sin black. But no, 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 no. So, so, so Jesus, God says, I, I want to reason with you. I want to sit down. I want to talk with you. I've got the good news for all of your bad news. And Jesus had a way of sitting down with sinners and reasoning yeah. with them. Yeah. But let me also put it this way, of valuing them, yeah. of seeing their humanity and not just their soul. Because when people feel like a project, that you treat them like a project, and a lot of times those are the people we evangelize in the projects, and we're going after their soul, and to me that's nothing but a plantation kind of a gospel. Well, we want you to go to heaven, but we could care less about your experience on earth. Because I'm going to go away and tell all my friends, I led another one to Jesus. Uh, uh, Man, we're going to baptize some more, and it's about me. It's not about God or that person as a whole. It's about me. And so Jesus had a way of valuing sinners whenever he sat down with them. I want you to see this today, that he never condemned anyone. He never condemned anyone. Neither did he condone their sinful behaviors and sinful choices. He did not condone their lifestyles that were contrary to God. Somehow, some way, he convinced them. He compelled them. He, he was able to draw them in because of the spirit of God, the message of the gospel. Somehow, Jesus was able to win a lot of people, and I want to be like Jesus. So let's see Jesus in action here in Luke chapter 5, how he interacted with lost people. Because, man, there's a lot for us to learn about that. So in Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27, I'm going to read down to verse 31. It says, after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them, and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So with the time I have, let me speak on the subject of sitting down with sinners. Sitting down with sinners. Jesus knew that by reaching Matthew or Levi, he would have a chance to reach Matthew's friends. Jesus knew that by reaching Matthew, he would have a chance of reaching Matthew's friends. Now, notice in the text, Jesus says to Matthew specifically, follow me. He doesn't say that to Matthew's friends. Why? I think it's because 
Now that Matthew is following Jesus, he can turn and say to his friends, follow me as I follow Christ. So Matthew is going to become a minister as a result of being ministered to by Jesus. So, so Matthew is reached by Jesus, which means that Jesus is able to reach Matthew's friends. And by reaching Matthew's friends, Jesus would also have an opportunity to teach the Pharisees. So he's going to reach Matthew. He's going to reach Matthew's friends. But in the midst of this, he's going to also do some teaching to the Pharisees. Now, I consider myself a recovering Pharisee, a recovering legalist. And so when I read this, I was convicted over how Jesus not only ministered to lost sinners, but also how he taught religious sinners as well. And saying, Lord, I don't want to be like that. But the first thing I want you to see today is that Jesus reaches Matthew. Verse 27, I'll read it again. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi or Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. After these things, Jesus had just healed a paralytic, a man who couldn't walk. And he heals this man. And after he finishes healing a man who can't walk and even forgiving him of his sins, He's walking along. He's going to the place in Capernaum where the tax collectors would be, a tax collector alley. And everybody had to come down that alley, down that row, to pay their taxes. I'll get to more of that in a moment. And when Jesus comes to this area, he sees Levi. He sees Matthew. And I'd like to say that I believe that Jesus saw Matthew when Matthew didn't see Jesus. In other words, Jesus saw him first before Matthew ever saw Jesus. And that's how he works with us. Before we saw the Lord, he saw us. And not only did he see Matthew, he saw Matthew's mess and still wanted him. Uh, can, can I preach today? I'm looking around balloons, making sure I'm seeing everybody. Can I, can I preach today? He saw his mess. And he still wanted him. And Jesus sees our mess. And he still wants us. He still wants to have a relationship with us. When so many other people in Matthew's day didn't want anything to do with Matthew. Jesus wanted everything to do with Matthew. His mess, his mess, his mess. What was his mess? His occupation was a mess. He was a tax collector. Pastor Chris, what's so wrong with having that job? Well, a lot was wrong with having that job in Jesus' day. Because the Jewish people in Jerusalem, they were being oppressed by the Romans. As the Romans occupied this Hebrew territory, they oppressed the Hebrew people to the point where they garnered taxes from them. And so the Hebrew people had to pay the oppressor, the occupier, taxes. And so they would hire, the Romans would hire Jewish people to collect money from Jewish people to give to the Roman government. And so the Hebrew people saw tax collectors as traitors because they were working for the oppressor. And so, and not only that, not only that, not only were they considered traitors, but they were also considered thieves. Why? Because the Romans would say, I need $10 from each person, if you will. Well, the tax collector would say to the people that the government wants $20 from you. So they would turn and give the government $10 and then keep the 10 from the people. Because the people couldn't argue with the tax collector because the tax collector represented Rome. And they couldn't fight against the tax collector because behind the tax collector was the Roman army. So they couldn't ask questions. They could only just give. 
And so not only would the tax collector give the 10 and take 10, but then the tax collector would get a salary from the Roman government kicking back $3. So they were wealthy people who stole from their own people while working for the oppressor. And so in that culture, tax collectors were seen as the bottom rung of society. Because again, they're in cahoots with Gentiles. And they're, 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 they're tainted by money. So they're at the lowest rung of society. So when they would talk about sinners in Jesus' day, they would talk about tax collectors. Sometimes they would call them publicans. I know you thought I was going to say republicans, but no, <laughs> sinners and publicans. They, that's what they were, tax collectors, man. So Matthew, man, he was a mess of a man in a messy profession, but Jesus still wanted him. He called some fishermen, very common guys, but now he's going after a tax collector. Now, this is going to be very strategic because Jesus is going to reach a sinner so that he can use that sinner to reach more sinners. And Jesus reached you so that he can reach more people through you. My God, because everybody don't want to listen to a fisherman. But somebody might listen to a tax collector. My God. So, so Jesus saw him. And he saw what Matthew was without him. And he saw what Matthew could be with him. In an instant, Jesus could see this man's past, his present, and his future. When Jesus saw him. Because he knows the end from the beginning. Jesus saw him when Matthew wasn't even looking for Jesus. Jesus knew that he was a man who needed to have a life-changing relationship with him. So Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, again, we don't know if this is the first time, you know, Matthew hearing about Jesus. We don't know, but there was this insatiable call, follow me. And the Bible says, so he left all, rose up and followed him. Now, I know we read this and say, man, are you, mean, you mean tell me he, he left that good job? He left that good money? Well, all money ain't good money. But he left it. But Strong Tower, don't miss this, though. When Jesus is speaking to your soul, he doesn't have to say a whole lot of words. He don't have to say a whole lot. Follow me. Boom. And those words not only hit Matthew's ears, but they hit his heart. Follow me. He didn't give him some doctoral dissertation explanation. He didn't break down the Torah and the Talmud and give him all these kind of words and higher thinking and criticism. He just simply said, follow me. And I want to let you know that when Jesus ministers to us today in 2023, he doesn't need to use a lot of words. Because if you have ears to hear, you will hear Jesus say to you, come to me. What? And I know a lot of people sitting around listening for an audible voice. You're going to be listening for a long time, okay? But he'll speak to your soul. And he'll say, come to me. He will also say to you, forgive. We're waiting for a word. Oh, I need a word. That's the word. Forgive them. Forgive yourself. Uh, uh, he'll speak simple words like give. I've been hoarding and holding the Lord's money. And he just says give. I had a man call me last week who used to attend Strong Tower, lives in another state. And uh, he's growing as a disciple. But he's not a giver. And he admitted that to me. He, he said, Pastor man, I, 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 I'm growing in my walk with God, but now he's messing with my finances, man. And, 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 and this guy helps other people with their finances. So he helps people, you know, plan for their estates and, he, you know, he invests and all that stuff. And now God is dealing with a modern day Matthew. And he's saying to him, give. It's time to give to the Lord at the church. So I said a few things to him and they were things that the Holy Spirit was already saying to him. And when we hung, before we hung up, I said to him, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter is established. The Lord's already been telling you what to do. You just need to obey and do it now. And he knew he was going to get a confirmation from me. I wasn't going to let him off the hook. Yeah, brother, you need to give. 
because you're not growing if you don't give. You're missing out if you don't give. But he'll say to you, sometimes, get up. Been laying there too long in misery and sorrow. Get up. Sometimes he'll talk to you and say, go. Just like he spoke to Catherine saying, it's time to go to the Ivory Coast. Go on the mission field. And you don't have to go overseas to go on missions. You can go down the street, around the corner, and go on Go. Get up. He'll say, serve. When the church is asking, we need help, we need help, and the Spirit of God will speak to you and say, serve. The issue is, will we listen and obey when God speaks simply to us? If he says, man, it's time to pray. You've been running your mouth, running your mouth, running your mouth. Pray. The Spirit will just whisper to you as he did Elijah on the mountain because the fire came and, and all this stuff. But then there was a whisper and Elijah was like, oh, Lord, God is speaking now. He'll whisper and say, fast. Oh, Lord, I don't want to hear that. He's speaking to us. And I love how the Bible says he rose up and left all. He left all. Now, his conversion is found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in each one, you get different uh, pieces of the story that the other may not have included. And when you put them all together, it's really extraordinary. He left everything, which means he left his old lifestyle of thievery. Primarily, he was a thief. And when God talked to another tax collector in scripture named Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector. And Jesus just sat down with him in his house. And Zacchaeus, after talking with Jesus, like, man, I will return everything I stole. And I will do this. I will do that. And Jesus said, well, today salvation has come to this house. There's no word that Jesus started preaching at him, hammering him. Because I think sometimes as we come to the light, God just starts showing us some of the darkness in our lives. Stuff that needs to get right. So he left all, but, but he reached them. But I want you to also see that Jesus reached Matthew's friends. Because something happened to Matthew that, that revolutionized him. So verse 29, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. In other words, I want to honor this rabbi. I want to honor this man. He's changed my life simply by saying, follow me. And he didn't even tell me where we were going. But I'm going to trust him. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to keep my eyes on him because there's something about his voice that's different from every voice in the crowd. There's something about him that's different from everyone in the crowd. Follow him. I'm following him. I'm his disciple. And I want to bless you. And so, 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 Lord, I'm throwing a party at my house in your honor. Now, I love this because Matthew felt free enough with Jesus to say, I want to throw you a party. And I'm going to invite my friends. Can I read on verse 29? Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. So he invited his friends other tax collectors and sinners to come to the party. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. As holy as he is, he still came. Some of us, well, some of us can be so holy. Some of us may not even have lost friends because we're so holy. And if all your friends are Christians, we gotta, we, we're not out there enough. But he accepted the invitation and brought his disciples with them because this was going to be a great learning opportunity for them. Because in the Hebrew culture, when you would sit down at a table with someone, it spoke of the fact that not only did you value them, but you were receiving them. So later, the Pharisees are going to have a problem with this, okay? But I'm working my way towards that. And so Jesus is receiving them. They are receiving Jesus. It is a party and a celebration at Matthew's house. Because reaching Matthew was not only salvific, it was strategic. Because now Jesus is talking to more people because of Matthew. And the Bible says that there was a great number of tax collectors. Why? Because tax collectors hang out with tax collectors, and then the Bible says, and then there were others. You see that in verse 29, right? And there were others who sat down, sat down, sat down. 
others. Well, who were those others? Tax collectors and others. Well, other versions, uh, Mark and Matthew, make it clear who the others were. They were sinners, tax collectors and sinners. So those were you know, put together in the same camp. If you were a sinner, you were a tax collector. If you were a tax collector, you were a sinner. But tax collectors in that culture, they were also lumped together with a particular kind of sinner called harlots. The children are out, aren't they? Uh, Harlots. Tax collectors and harlots. So the others here might be harlots or prostitutes. And it just wasn't women who were prostitutes. There were men who were prostitutes. And it just wasn't the kind of thing where there was heterosexual sexual activity going on in that time. There was also homosexual sexual activity going on at that time. People were selling themselves, giving themselves. So, so, so Jesus, I need you to come to my house because we're going to have uh, 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 some, some, some sinners up in here. We're going to have some harlots up in here. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll come and I'll bring my boys with me too. He knew why he was going into that house. It was not for shotgun evangelism purposes. It was to sit down and reason with people. A lot of times we we sit here and say, how come they won't come to the synagogue? We need the sinners to come to the synagogue and and be around all us self-righteous folk. No, no, leave the synagogue and go to the house where the sinners are partying at. Uh, Ooh, buddy. I could never have preached a message like this years ago, yet alone sat and listened to a message like this years ago because I'm like, oh, no, come out from among them and be ye separate. Man, stop taking stuff out of context. Jesus incarnated into the world. What makes you think he would not incarnate into a sinner's house? Because he came to seek and to save the lost. He just wasn't going over there to get his drink on. And he did drink. He did drink. Because when you sit down with sinners, they drinking. Again, we're going to hit it here in a minute. No, no, no. Because you don't get accused of being a wine bibber and a glutton if you're not sitting at these tables eating and drinking. But Jesus is able to reach Matthew's friends. And Matthew trusted Jesus with his friends. I hope you can trust me with your unsafe family members and friends. That if my pastor show up, he not going to come and decapitate people in the name of God. I ain't scared of your sinner family. I got sinner family myself. I got drinkers in my family, people that smoke weed in my family. Man, invite me. I hang out. Don't be taking no pictures, but invite me. But when we sit down with unsaved sinners, when we sit down with them to value their humanity, they're made in the image of God. God loves them. He does not uh, look down on them. So one of three things will happen. Number one, when we sit with sinners, some of us will condemn them. We judge them, we put them down, and we shame them. Unfortunately, I used to do this. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We love John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Mm, Thank you, Jesus. Then verse 17 says that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. But God wants everyone to believe in Jesus. The next verse in John says, that those who don't believe stand condemned already. In other words, you condemn yourself if you don't want to believe in Jesus. So God is not coming into the world to condemn people. So dig it. If God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, I doubt he sent you to do it. Sinners 
know they sinners. They fulfill their job description. They don't need you coming along. They know they, they, yeah, they know they tripping. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn. But a lot of times when we sit down, we condemn people. And if we're not condemning them, we're combative with them. I'm making this C up on the spot right here. I got, I got some other. But, but, but we're trying to argue and debate with them. And that's the kind of condemnation because we're acting like we have this superior knowledge. And so when they want to ask questions about other religions, other gods, or we, menace of the earth, and, and, and we want to just come and we're combative because we got to win an argument. Oh, oh, we got to win souls. But we condemn folk because we're self-righteous. Secondly, when we sit down with sinners, some of us will condemn and some of us will condone. We'll condone their behavior. We can be so busy trying to love them that we excuse them. I'm trying to find some balance here. Because some of us, man, I'm not into that condemnation of folk. But we're so, quote unquote, loving that we're condoning the stuff Jesus died for. So Lord, help me with this. Help me, Holy Spirit. Because when we're trying to condone the behavior of our neighbors and our families, we end up ignoring scripture or even attempting to change scripture in order to accommodate our friends. We condone their sins because we don't want to run the risk of offending them with truth. We don't want to run the risk of being lumped in with those folk over there who look like they've been baptized in lemon juice, who don't like anything, don't love nobody. So we don't want to be like them. So we just condone everything. Well, Jesus didn't condone the sin of sinners because at some point, Strong Tower, he called sinners to repentance. Don't miss that now. He didn't condemn them. He, he didn't condone their behavior. He was able to sit with them, reason with them, talk to them, listen to them. Again, dialogue, not a monologue. Listen to where they were, what they were struggling with, what they were afraid of, what they didn't like about religion. He listened, he reasoned. And at some point, he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, repentance is not an archaic word. It's a contemporary word. You know, it's one of the words that folk want to, again, it's in the Bible, but I don't want to use it in my conversation. Repent is not a dirty word. It's not a bad word. It's a necessary word. When Jesus sat down with the woman at the well, in John chapter 4, he sat down with her. When other Jewish people despised Samaritans, didn't, didn't uh, go through Samaria, yet alone talk to a Samaritan woman, he sat down. And he started talking to her about some living water. And he said, this water I give to you, you'll never thirst again. It'll, it'll bubble up inside of you to everlasting life. And she said, oh, I want that water. He said, okay, call your husband first. Call my husband. Uh, 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 I don't have a husband. You can say that again. You've had five, and the dude that's living with you right now in the boxer shorts and white beater eating Cheetos, he ain't your husband. And she said, ooh, I perceive you're a prophet. In other words, you can't get this living water till you're willing to repent. Acknowledge your sins. Because a lot of folk want to drink the water and keep their sins. They want to come to Jesus and remain as they are. But that's why the apostles would preach repent. John the Baptist would preach repent. What does that mean? It means to turn. I'm going this way, doing my own thing. Repent. I turn this way and do God's thing. I'm turning from and I'm turning to. And so you have to repent and it's sometimes. We want to tell our friends, maybe not the first conversation, but at some point, we're going to have to say to them, repent. 
turn because that thing, that lifestyle is not pleasing to God, whatever it is. So we can either condemn, condone, or finally convince them. Convince them. And it's really not us doing the convincing. It's the spirit of God who must do the convincing. But we convince them of their need for Jesus. We convince them of their need for grace. We convince them of their need to love the one who loved them first. And let me free somebody up today. We all have the responsibility of doing evangelism, but some of us have the gift of evangelism. And man, we're really passionate about soul winning. We're great at leading people to Jesus. But some of us are not really gifted that way. So evangelism for us might be planting seeds of the gospel and watering seeds of the gospel. You can't discount that. Now, again, some evangelists go in and they're trying to get the seed planted, watered, and the harvest. And sometimes that happens. But sometimes some of us are good at Loving people well with planting a seed. And it's not just about coming to church with me. No, we start telling our testimony. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. You're planting a seed. And God is the one who's going to give the increase or the harvest. But watch this. Mark chapter 2 verse 15. The Bible says, now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house. So this is Mark's version, okay? While he's dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. He just wasn't up in the house trying to make a statement. He was up in the house again reasoning and planting and watering. And for some of them, a harvest came. They they said, if Matthew could follow, we're going to follow. Let me go back to John chapter 4. The woman at the well, after talking to Jesus, leaves her water pots. It's kind of a sign of her repentance, that that she's walking in a new way now. She leaves that, and she goes into the community and starts saying, y'all need to come hear this brother over here. He's told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? And the Bible says that all these men came, because I guess that's really all she knew. And all these men came. Jesus said to his disciples who were with him, because they came back finally, because they, they, they went away to buy some food. They came back. And Jesus said, lift up your eyes because you, you see a harvest coming. The fields are white for harvest, and these white turbans are walking that way. And the people, the men say, we listened to the woman, but now that we've heard you for ourselves, we believe that you are the Christ. So one woman was able to plant some seeds with the community, they came in John chapter 4 and a harvest was wrought. Jesus reaches Matthew, reaches Matthew's friends, and his friends come to faith in Jesus. May we not give up on people who have not come to Christ yet in our families or in our lives. It's up to God. But I got a warning, though. I got a warning. I got a warning. I got a warning. When we sit down with unsaved sinners in their world, in their world, Jesus went into Matthew's house. When we sit down with them, we run the risk of being misunderstood by religious people who watch our every move. Verse 30, and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. So these rabbis, these Pharisees over here, like, why are you doing that? To which if I was one of the disciples then hanging with Jesus, I would speak out of turn and speak back to them and say, why not? Why are you doing that? Why not? Who says that I can't sit down with lost people? Who said that? Why can't I? Why shouldn't I? But religion will say, y'all stay over there, we stay over here. And if you go over there, we're going to condemn you for going over there. No wonder your ministry isn't growing. Nobody wants to follow rabbi so-and-so because you're condemning people. 
You're not going to where people are, and then you're questioning the people who do. Self-righteous religious people will accuse you of many things, but don't let them discourage you. One of the reasons we're not effective at reaching sinners is because we forgot that we were sinners. And we forget that we are sinners. Oh, that flew over somebody's head. Can I put it in reverse? We're not good at reaching sinners because we forgot that we were sinners. And we forget that we are sinners. I'm not sitting down with sinners over there. Well, let me help y'all out. You sitting down with sinners right now. You, 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 You sitting down with sinners right now. And guess what? You are a sinner sitting down with sinners right now. Oh, pastor, I'm not a sinner. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. And you don't know your Bible. James chapter 4, he's writing to Christians, and he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. 1 John chapter 1, if anyone says that he does not sin, he deceives himself. We got a lot of deceived folk walking around here acting like they're holier than everybody else. Use a sinner. Not your, use a sinner. And you're sitting next to him right now in church. Oh, I wish Donnie McClurkin was here. I'd have him sing. For a saint is just a sinner. Who what? And got back up. Christians were offended by that song. For a saint is just, no, I'm not just a sinner. Yes, you are. You're a sinner saved by grace. You're not better than anybody else. By the grace of God, you're only better off. But God wants you to turn and share that mercy with somebody, man. As soon as you start thinking that your stuff don't stink, you're going to smell your stuff that stink. You're a sinner. Saved sinner. You're a sinner. Look how Jesus teaches these Pharisees. In verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So let me teach you, boys. I'm sitting over there with them because they're sick. I'm sitting over there with them because they're sinners. That's who I came for. I didn't come for people who think that they're well. And guess what, fellas? Y'all are just as sick as those folks over there. Y'all are just as sinful as those folks over there. You may not be doing what they're doing, but you're doing some stuff. Oh, the big sins, and we know how to name them. But what about the sins of gossip? Sins of slander? and envy, and and, and being divisive, and being a dissenter, sin. So the reason why Jesus couldn't heal Pharisees, because the Pharisees kept thinking they were okay. But the reason why Jesus could heal sinners was because the sinner says, we know we're sick, and we need a doctor. He had to teach them. And over in Matthew's version of this, Jesus quotes from Hosea chapter 6. He says to them, go find out what this means, you boys that's in the word, because you're all up in that Bible. Go go find out what this means. I I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go find out what that means. God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What that mean, pastor? What it means is God wants people to come to him and receive his mercy. Uh, uh, uh. God is not interested in people who are not merciful trying to offer religious sacrifices to him. No, no, no. He doesn't want your religion. He wants your heart. So when you receive mercy from him, it changes your heart. Now you bring the sacrifices. Psalm 51 with David. He says, I would offer you all kinds, but that's not what you want. A broken and contrite spirit is what you want. Then I'll come and offer the sacrifices. But don't try to offer God no sacrifices and your heart isn't flooded with his mercy and then dig this and then giving out his mercy. I got to say it. I know I'm over time, but I got to say it. In other words, if you are a recipient of mercy... 
give mercy. Because God says, I desire mercy. Wait a minute, what does God need mercy for? Mercy is for sinners. So God is not saying, I desire y'all mercy because I'm messed up. No, I desire mercy because I gave you mercy and I desire you to show mercy. I desire mercy. I want people who've received mercy to give mercy. Now you can come do your religious sacrifice, but don't you come to me with the sacrifice and you self-righteous, you put down other folk, you think you holier than that. I don't want that stuff because you done forgot that you need mercy just as much as they, I desire mercy. Why? Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy. The reason why we don't reach people is we don't dispense mercy. We dispense judgment. But Lord, help us. I believe that Jesus wants us to grow in how we reach people. How to sit down with folks. You've got Jehovah's Witnesses in your family. Debating does not work. You've got Mormons in your family. You've got Muslims in your family. You've got crackheads in your family. You've got bankers in your family who think that they don't need God because they got money. Sit down when God gives you the opportunities. Reason with them. Plant seeds. Water seeds. Pray for them. And then I think he also wants us to teach the Pharisees. Because I know, Master, let me switch it this way. Let me ask the disciples, why your teacher over there eating with those people? In other words, uh, we want y'all to be embarrassed of your leader. That's why Jesus spoke up and said, let me, let me tell y'all something. But would I embarrass you if I go to a Wu-Tang concert? I got an invitation to go with one of our members to a Wu-Tang concert. Now watch this. I pastor all kind of sinners up in here. I, I know y'all look good right now. I got all kind of hoods, cutthroats. I got all kind of sinners up in here. And I got sinners say, hey, pastor, I got two tickets. Let's go to the Wu-Tang. Going to be some weed up in there. I'm going to go to the Wu-Tang. And, and if you see a picture online, Pastor Chris at the Wu-Tang concert, somebody going to say, hey, why are you pastor? Why are you pastor? Because he's trying to reach people. Also trying to have some fun, but he's trying to reach people. If somebody comes up to you and says, I saw your pastor at the Pride event in Franklin. He's walking around, greeting people, blessing folk, hugging folk, folks that used to go to his church. Are you going to have a problem if I go and just be with people in that environment? I won't have a problem if you go. Because when I read my Bible, my Jesus would hang where people. And then uh, there's another event coming in downtown Nashville. Uh, the family cookout and all kind of Negroes. I mean, all kind of people <laughs> going to be up in there. And they're going to be getting their drink on, playing spades and all this. And I'm going to be. Why your pastor? I keep hanging around Christians. I, I feel like I'm losing something. I, I got to get around some people that can ask some questions. Why y'all do this? Why y'all believe that? What, what? I know I lost some of y'all. Don't move your membership. <laughs> this week, I got to sit down with a sinner. And this is a man that I've always wanted to sit down with ever since he was a teenager. I could never work things where because I, I was trying to minister to him, minister to him, minister to him. Man, it just never worked from a teenager. Now he's in his 40s. And God brought our paths back together. And he said to me, can I buy you lunch? And we went to lunch and we're sitting down at lunch. And he knows who I am. He knows what I'm about ever since he was a teenager. And he says to me, I want you to talk and I'll listen. Start planting seeds, watering seeds. Get my old days out and try to force them to pray a prayer. I'm trying to follow the Spirit. 
Let me listen to his world. Let me listen to his pain. Let me affirm him and encourage him. I can't wait to sit back down with him again. And he don't even have to come sit in this church for me to sit with him. Ah. Father, help us to not be the kind that condemns. To not be the kind that condone, but to be those who convince in Jesus' name. Well, before we leave, I'm going to ask the elders to join me on stage and their wives because we're going to pray over one of our graduates as she heads on the mission field. And that's Sister Catherine Lewis. Sister Catherine, would you come up to the stage now? Let's give her a hand. She's heading off to the Ivory Coast for three weeks. She's raised her money, and uh, I don't want to put her on a pedestal, but I believe God has put her on one, and I'll acknowledge that. And she said, this is what I want to do for my senior trip. I want to go on the mission field. So we praise God for Catherine. Come on up, sis. Stand right here. Y'all saw that? I had to let her speak in my good ear. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Is there a microphone around here? Because I know you weren't prepared to do this, but since you're a graduate with a 4.20 uh, GPA, <laughs> tell everybody what's about to happen. Um, okay, is it on? No. Number eight. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, what day is it today? It's the 21st, right? So um, I'm going on the plane to New York on the 23rd. Um, and then after that, I'm spending the night in New York. And I'm going to head off to Paris. And I'm going to be Paris for three hours. Yes! Uh, <laughs> and then after that, uh, we're going to Abidjan, Ivory Coast. And I'm spending three weeks there. Um, we're going to be mostly ministering to university students over there as well as partnering with, I think, an uh, orphanage down there and um, helping out with um, uh, water filter outreach. Um, I do not have a lot of details to give you, um, but I am hoping that I'll be able to make just an overview video that I can share with you when I get back. So <laughs> I'm excited. Thank you. Amen. Amen. What's everyone? Lay hands and... Brother Larry, thank you for teaching me many years ago when you took me to Africa for the first time that we're not taking God to Africa. God is already there. He's already there. This will be our uh, benediction, so everybody stand to your feet. You got room for somebody else to go with you? I mean, I have an empty... Um, I have an empty carry-on bag, so <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> next, next summer. Next summer. Next we're, summer. We're doing more. Amen. We're doing more next summer. Amen. Uh, Jerry and Donna, y'all going to be all right? I don't know. <laughs> Amen. So we're praying for mama and daddy, too. Let's pray, everybody. Father God, thank you that you are expanding your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that as your daughter goes, as our sister goes, that God, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings, who bring the gospel of peace. So, Lord, everywhere that Catherine walks, I thank you that you've already marched out her steps before her. I thank you, God, that this was on your plan before time began. All of her days were written in your book before any of them came to be. Thank you for graduation from high school. And now, Lord, she's already embarking upon those things that you've called her to do. So, Father, as her church family, we send her forth in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, knowing, Lord, that you have not given her a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You've gifted her in so many ways. And, Lord, might those gifts be used to not only honor you, but to bless people there in the Ivory Coast. And, Lord, we're asking that you bless her while she's there, but also bring her back to us so that we can live through her experiences vicariously for her to tell us what she saw, what she heard, what she felt, what she tasted, what she was able to do so that it might spur us on 
to missions. So bless her in her going out. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. You are dismissed, everyone. Hug a few people. And don't forget, we're packing boxes down the hall. Join us to pack a couple of boxes.